Thanks, Gary, for uh, leading us in our time of prayer. Thanks, worship team, for leading us in our time of worship. I really appreciate it. This morning, God is, this week, and even still this morning, God is doing a work. And so even as Gary is praying, I feel like what he has to say to us is still being formed. So I want to pause, and I want to just pray for myself. Father, in this moment, as we look into your word, speak to us and do what you would in this time. We turn this over to you. We've tried to all day long, and, and as it is with us, we are always trying to take things back. We're always trying to manage you and manage our lives. We turn this over to you. Speak to us in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. Open up your Bibles to Mark 5, specifically verse 5 here. It's the story of Jesus healing a man with an unclean spirit. I've used this text before a, few, a couple years ago in much the same context. But today, just based on what the Lord's doing and where he's leading, we're going to, we're going to start here and we're going to go and see what happens here. So let's read. It's going to be a little bit of a long text, uh, verse 5 through 20. Let's read it together. I'm reading from New American Standard. And so um, every once in a while I'll mention the verse so you just make sure we're, we're all connecting here. If we lose each other, I'll find you in verse 20 in just a few moments, okay? They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Verse 5. Okay, I think I was starting in verse 1, wasn't I? I'm sorry, I had the chapter there. I said verse 5. We started in chapter. We started in verse 1. You probably already figured that out. Good. I think I'm in verse 5 of Mark, chapter 5. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and, and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him and, and shouted with a loud voice. And he said, what business do, you, do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. He had been saying, for he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he answered to him and said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so we may, be, so we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. And the herd rushed down a steep bank into the sea. And about 2,000 of them. And they were drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave the region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might go and accompany him. And he did not let him. But Jesus said to him, Go home to your people and report to them the great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. That's a great story. That is a great story. We talk 
about being sent as a church. We talk about saying that we want to be equipped. We want to understand that we're sent. And we want to understand that those we are sent to, that we serve them. Three things we ask us to try and memorize. Three things we ask us to try and live by. In this verse here, we see a couple of those things that I want to focus on in this passage. Did you notice in here, verse 14, let's start there and reread a little bit. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. I want us to stop right there and think about this. Have you ever thought about being sent? And have you ever wondered what you're supposed to do when you get there? In this passage, it's interesting because this is what we really want to emphasize. Many people believe that being sent by your local church means they're going to send you overseas or you're going to be relocating. Being sent to us most often than not has the the connotations of geography, one place to another. But we use the word sent in a very different connotation. We don't really ever mean geography. We mean people. That when we talk about being sent as a church, you are sent to the people in your life. That's who God has put there. You know, we talk about it, and and that's what we're going to be talking about for our Bible conference in a couple of weeks. But have you ever thought about, once I'm there, what do I do? Once I'm there, you know, once I arrive at work, and I'm in my cubicle, and I have my coffee, and I've decided to start my work day, what do I do? How is it that these people I'm sent to, I have a mission to? How is it that there's a purpose there? What is that purpose? What is that thing that I'm supposed to be doing in that moment when I arrive? When you go and you sit on the bleachers at the softball game, when you go and you sit in the stands at the basketball game or the lacrosse game, when you go and you're waiting on the kids after dance, when you're in the neighborhood and you're watching all the kids in the cul-de-sac and they're playing and you're interacting with them, when, when you're standing among those people, what is it that you are sent to do once you're with them? And I think this passage has it in it. There in four, verse 14, they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had legion, and they became frightened. Do you see it? Do you see what your call is? Do you see what you're supposed to do when you go into your cubicle, when you're standing in the cul-de-sac, when you're at the, the ball game, when you're sitting with your committee team, whenever it is, whatever it is you're doing, do you see what it is there that you're, the, we are called to do? It's that a changed life draws attention. I'll even go further than that. It's not that it's a changed life, but it is the power of Christ unleashed in a life draws attention. It draws attention. And people are watching. Early on, I have a brother-in-law who's not a believer. And if he was here today, he and I, he'd probably stum up and come share the story with you. But early on, after Betty and I were married, one time we were in South Florida for the holidays, and, and he just flat out said to me, we were kind of touching on religion and stuff and faith, and he flat out just said to me, don't screw up, Tim. Don't screw up. Actually, he didn't say it in those polite words. He said something else. I was talking with someone Friday night, and they were talking about a colleague that they work with, and this colleague made a comment about a Christian in the business, and they said, I guess if I had to talk to someone, it'd be him, because he's the only Christian I know that lives it. Do you see 
It's the power of Christ in a life that people want to see. They've listened to us talk. Matter of fact, there's a quote. I just need to let you know right now. I do not know where I'm at in this sermon. I'm just like listening to the Lord. And um, so everyone just strap yourselves in and let's at the end of this find out where we are, all right? There's a quote that just says that it is far easier to do evangelism than it is to live the Christian life. Do you get that? It is far easier to go to Kensington and stand on a street corner with 400 other people and walk by and find people and say, Hi, can I tell you about Jesus? And just do that because you're not ever going to see him. And in that moment, you don't have to be especially holy. You don't have to. They don't know your lifestyle. You're nobody to them. You just have the message of truth. And so you hand it off to them. That's really easy. That's really easy. Matter of fact, when you think about it, when we talk about evangelism, I would think that everyone say, I'd much rather go down the city and share Christ with a stranger and never have to see them again and never let them know what I'm really like. Because who I'm really like can be an obstacle to the gospel. Or, as it is in this man's life, it can be like a flame, like a moth to a flame. Christ unleashed in a life. When we are being sent to people, we're sent not to, you don't have to go in with all the answers. You don't have to go in with a great, I mean, you don't have to know the wallet illustration or the bridge illustration or anything else. You don't have to know any of that stuff. You just have to walk in and let them see that Jesus has radically changed your life and is making a difference in your life. Not 20 years ago when you first walked an aisle, but today. That today he's making a difference in your life. And when they see that, they're the ones who come to you and say, I think there's something different. I have something going on in my life. Can you pray for me? Isn't that right, Scott Brubaker? When they see something different in your life, they'll come to you. You won't have to go to them. They'll come to you, and they'll come in and say, can we have coffee together? And they might not ask any questions at all, but they just want to rub up against you and smell you and say, is this the real thing or not? And when they walk away, they'll say, I'm still not sure. But they're watching. They are watching all the time, all the time. They are watching. And so in the case of this demoniac, he was so taken by what the Lord had done to him that when Christ is leaving, he says, can I come? Can I go with you? And Christ says, no, no. There is an illustration, and it's an illustration, and you can poke holes in it, but just walk with me, all right? People are on a beach. There's no lifeguards that doesn't exist. Nothing like that exists. People are on a beach, and they notice that there's someone out there about 20 yards, and they're flailing in the water, and someone says, we should save them. They run out, and they rush out, and they get them. They bring them on shore, and they save their life, and they think, and they talk among themselves and says, that's crazy. What if that happens all the time? What would we do about that? And they come together, and they say, you know, we should put someone on the beach all the time. Someone on the beach who would stand around and make sure that if there's anyone out there, there's someone who could go out and rescue them. And so they do that. And so they station themselves. They organize themselves. And so they are there to rescue people as they're drowning. And after a little bit, they decide it's really, really hot on the beach. Why don't we get a big stand-up umbrella to cover us so that as we stand out here to save people, we can just be shaded from the sun? Great idea. Nothing wrong with that. Doesn't, doesn't stop us from getting in the water. Doesn't stop us from seeing people who need to, to be saved from <coughs> drowning. Doesn't stop us at all. And so they like that. But, you know, when you stand there for hours, it gets tiring. So they say, we should have chairs underneath the umbrella. Great idea. Great idea. 
You know, if we were elevated a little bit, we could see further out and it'd be better vantage point. We wouldn't have to be looking over people on the beach. So they elevate it. They make a deck, chairs, umbrella. That's great. You know, it would be really great if we had like, you know, three walls on this. That's a great idea. Let's do that. You know, it'd be an even better idea if we put the fourth wall on it and just put a giant window so we could see, and then we air-conditioned it. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable while we try and save people from drowning, is there? Not at all, until you don't want to leave the air conditioning to go out and save them. There are too many of us who don't want to leave the confines of the church to go back into our neighborhoods and save them. There are too many of us who don't want to have friends who don't know Christ We see them as they're going to pollute us. And yet the very example that Christ set, he went and he was with them, and he was the one being criticized for going and being with them. God has sent you to that boss that you cannot stand on a purpose. God has sent you to the person in the cubicle next to you that doesn't do all their work, and you have to pick up the slack. God has sent you to the teacher in that classroom, and they teach falsehood. God has sent you to the person in the classroom that is vile, that bullies you, that abuses you. God has sent you to that person because that person doesn't know Christ. And it's not about how they treat you. It's not about what they think about you. It is the message you have about Jesus. And that message, again, it's not that you need to walk in and feel like, okay, in the first five days of this relationship, I'd better be able to go through the wall illustration and the bridge illustration, the Roman road and the Ephesians road and the Galatians road and all those roads. I need to know all of that stuff and make sure I show. No, no, it's not that stuff at all. It's walk in and be Jesus in front of them. It's walk in and demonstrate that your life is different because of Christ. Moths come to a flame. That's just what they do. This man, it says, as it closes the passage, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Everyone was amazed. If I were to show up a month from now, skinny and handsome, first of all, you would say it was a miracle. And secondly, you'd say, how'd you do it? And I can guarantee there'd be many people who would go out and buy whatever I was selling. The same thing is true about Jesus. How do you do that with your wife? How can you be that way with your children? If we have something that demonstrates we have a changed life, the moths come to the flame and we point them to Jesus. Another part of that is this. In the world, the world doesn't know how to resolve conflict because the only way you do that is by suing them. Make war on each other. They resort to violence with each other. The world doesn't know how to resolve conflict. And the reason why the church doesn't look appealing is because we don't either. And that's why there's another church across town that used to meet in this building. That's why there's churches all over, scattered over the landscape. 
that used to be over there, but now they're here. Not because it was strategically looking for a place to put a brand new church because people need to know Christ, because people couldn't agree on how to love each other despite hurt and offenses. This is what I want for crossing. This is what I want from my life. And that's that I want people to be able to say, there is something different about them because they can resolve conflict. And I want our people to be able to say, my church is different because we strive and we work for authenticity and honesty. And our people work on resolving conflict and not letting it divide us. This week, I had a long meeting. It was brought to my attention that I had hurt not just someone, but someone's. And I began the process that night, Friday night, to try and fix that. I had this sermon planned out. I knew what I wanted to do. And Friday night was something I needed to do as a part of just being right with others and being right before the Lord. And so Saturday morning, I decided to pick up just some devotional reading, something to just a different thing. And as is the way with the Lord, he's always guiding. So I picked up a book that has been on my shelf that I have not read by John, John Ortberg called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. He has great titles. So I crack it open to see what it's about. It's about conflict. It's about resolving it. It's about managing it. It's about forgiveness, authenticity. It's about community. And I thought, so, what are we doing here today, Lord? And before I was done, I knew that the thing that I wanted our church to be about and to make our church enticing and to make our church like a flame that Moss would come to would be for me to lead the way in resolving conflict. For me to demonstrate that and for me to say that there's some of you in this room that I've never talked to yet, but I've learned that I've hurt you and I want to fix that. And maybe there's some of you in this room that I don't know I've hurt you and I want to fix that. I want this room to be the kind of place that people will come to and say, you need to come to my church because we're different. And let them come and find out how and why. I don't want there to be anything between me and any of you. Sometimes it seems like it's really hard. But I believe that the power of Christ is there enough to resolve conflict. I've listened to the testimonies of those who have come out of POW camps and faced the people who have killed family and forgiven them. And so I believe that the power of Christ is strong enough and vibrant enough and able to resolve any conflict we would have in this room. It depends on us to decide that's who we want to be. And I, as your pastor, am deciding That's who I want to be. If I have hurt you, I want to know about it. I want to resolve it. I want to to prove that the power of Christ is able to make all those things go away and turn beauty from ashes. And I'll go even further to one other little thing. It's kind of off the topic, but as far as it goes in, in regards to integrity as far as it goes into leadership. And you're going to think, this is really off topic. It is, but they gave me the microphone. (laughs) 
Last Sunday, we were talking about how we invest our lives. And I was saying that I don't think any of us want to be. To be known for knowing all the characters and all the plots and all the themes of TV shows. You remember me talking about that? And that that consumes our life enough that we know that and that that takes the place of like following the Lord and knowing Him. You remember we were talking about that? And I mentioned a show that I watched. And and afterwards, it didn't dawn on me until like Tuesday or Wednesday. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I went, wow. It's kind of like I was fine for doing that alone at home. But when I told my people about it, I was all of a sudden ashamed of it. And thinking like, I don't want our people to think that that show is something all of us should watch. And that I shouldn't have watched it. And it's like, I took the Lord off and I put something else in its place. And I don't want you to think that that was okay. And I'm like, in a sense, I'm saying like, I hated it all of a sudden. It became clear to me that it was wrong. And I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that way for me. I don't want to be that way for that boy or that boy or that woman. And I don't want to be that way for you. And I don't want you to be that way for me. That's who we are as a family. It's who we are as a community. It's who we are as followers of Christ. I believe that doing this stuff, as awkward and especially as uncomfortable as it is, is what makes churches the kind of places that unbelievers want to be at. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for us. When we talk about being sent, that man was sent back to people excited about what Jesus had done in his life. When we talk about you being sent, I want you to be excited about what Jesus is doing in your life and in your church. And I want you to be able to say, this is my church. This is my Jesus. I want you to know him too. Resolving conflict is just one way that we are different than the world. We'll make mistakes. We're going to hit speed bumps. It might not go well, but we will give it all. As much as is impossible to be at peace with all men, I'd call you to that same calling as well. Resolving conflict with other Christians in a way that it draws attention and glory to Jesus so that when we are sent and we find we're out with them, we can be excited about what God is doing. Let me pray for us.